Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you're listening to the Creative Outsiders podcast where we show women that it's possible to live their filmmaking dreams through empowerment and professional development. We feature guests who provide resources, tips, and life experiences to help you grow as a filmmaker. And my guest today is Kim Ray, a producer, writer, and director. Kim has produced the reality TV shows MTV's Made, The X Factor, Kendra on Top, and her current produced documentary, Gaga Five Foot Two, is on Netflix now. Hi, Kim. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. So I uh, definitely am a research buff. Like, I feel like I could probably have a um, job in that. My friends always tell me, if we need to know something, let's go to Siobhan because she's going to figure it out. <laughs> so <laughs> That's good. I like asking like uh, kind of quirky questions and you uh, definitely gave me some a little bit of ammunition. So when I was doing research on you after I had started following you on social media, I noticed that you do not have a personal website. So (laughs) true, I don't. So I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to ask you, is that intentional and why don't you have one? Um, it is intentional. I don't have one. I've, I've really grappled with that for years because it's like, what do I want to put on there? Um, you know, there was a time when I came out of USC for grad school where I was directing music vi- or not music, vi- I was directing commercials. And I thought, well, I can put my reel on there, my commercial reel. Then I just, I guess I didn't need, I didn't really need to. And then there was a long period of time where I was producing and writing and I was like well what you know just what would I put like what would make a website interesting for me you know and and I really every time I thought of it I just like there's just really nothing that I feel is compelling enough for me to have a website and again this summer (laughs) I knew the the Gaga movie was coming out I, I was toying with the idea again. I was like, you know what? I'll put up a website. And I'll, maybe I'll put up my credits and maybe I'll put like the first five pages of like four or five of my screenplays and, you know, my credits and stuff. And, um, and I toyed around with like how it would look and what it would do. And then at the end, I was just like, you know, I don't, I just don't really see the purpose of it right now. Still. I, I just, so yeah, I, you know, and, and now I just finished a short film um, that I wrote and directed. And again, I was like, maybe I should have this. <laughs> I maybe have it at least for the film, you know? And yeah. I, but it's just, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't really, I don't go to filmmakers' websites. And I think, you know, I don't even, I mean, does like Wes Anderson have a website? I, I don't know. I, you know. I doubt it. He might. But, um, you know, I have, a, I have a production company, Soft Power Pictures. I thought it would be fun to do a website for Soft Power. But then I was just like, I'm missing all this time and energy at a website for Soft Power. And who's really going to go there? I don't know. What's going to be on there? I don't know. So, yeah, it's, it's not that I haven't thought about it, you know, deeply <laughs> because I have. It's just at the end of the day, you know, when I consider the time and energy that will go into creating something like that, because it is a creative endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, I just can't imagine how it will be like compelling enough to, 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 
to guard, you know, to, to justify its existence. Uh, I guess it just hasn't happened. So, yeah. I think that's, that's so, no, but I think that's so interesting because um, I think you're the first, well, no, you're not the first, but I just think when you say, you know, like it's creative energy and you're like, you know, putting your creativity into it. And I wanted to ask you just your opinion because um, you are in a different, uh, space when it comes to where you are in your uh, creative career but for those people who are like let's say indie filmmakers how then do they attract clients because they don't have a um an agent so like how do they show people like I have good work just like- I think if you yeah that's a great question I think you know if you have um you know some like one or two shorts that or more, you you know, whatever that you feel are really strong and don't just ask a few people if they're strong, really ask people, you know, get them out there, get, you know, get everyone, you know,'s opinion. If you really think those shorts are super strong and maybe they've won awards at festivals, you know, you've, you've really taken stuff out, then yeah, do a website and do something that looks really cool because again you know you don't want to have great work but then you have like a website that looks like it's 1995 you know you really want to have like something that looks cool you know and that is going to be as cool and and interesting as your work is and if 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 your work is comedy and so it's not about aesthetics as much then the website should be just kind of plain and white and not. I am. They're delivering the mail, so it's my it's my dog's job to bark at the mail person. <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, so yeah, I think you know. It you know it depends on your job. Yeah, if you're if you're doing comedy, then the website should be just really scaled down and just about. The videos, if you do sci-fi or something like that, then maybe it's, you know, the website's a little slicker and has like a more interesting look. But I don't know. I think, yes, I hear you. I think up and coming filmmakers who have stuff that they need to show people um, should probably have a website, but they should put just as much energy into making that website look cool or fade into the background and not look like anything as they do you know as, as much energy as they put into their films if that makes any sense no it does absolutely I mean and I, I agree with you about that and just even put in the same amount of effort as you do into your work because you don't want people to be turned away because your website looks like crap so I get it <laughs> right. <laughs> right right but I, I was like oh yeah let me ask her because I was like no I don't I don't see a website for her, but I get what you're saying. It makes sense. It, sometimes I think it'd be good to have like a, you know, just to have a bio so people could get a sense, mm-hmm. you know, of who I am, which, you know, you can't, and my name is so common. It's hard to find me on the internet. I think when I first, the first time I Googled my name, all that came up was Kim Kardashian and Ray J. Like it no, was just. It did. Cause when I Googled you, like, okay, I was like, wait a minute. I said, did I put in Kim Kardashian? I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's horrible. It's 
still does. It's so many years later, and yet that's what comes up. I mean, for that reason alone, I should probably have a website that's just like a white page that just says my name, writer, producer, director, just for that reason alone. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, thought, I was like, but then I thought about, I was like, oh yeah, Kim and Ray J. I was like, oh, that's what I'm <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it was funny because when I, when I first discovered that, I, I legitimately was like, who the hell is Kim Kardashian? <laughs> I had no idea who she was. Like none, zip, nothing, no oh, idea. That is so funny. I love it. That was a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Okay, so you, um, before we get into like where you are right now, you originally started uh, at um, Detroit's College for Creative Studies for photography. Why did you? I did. Why did you pivot from photography to film school? Um, Well, when I started at, at CCS, you know, I, well, I originally I had a dark room in my basement in high school and was really into photography, but I was also really into film, into writing and, and music, like film, photography and music have, have always been, you know, passions of mine. And but when I got into, into really into photography at the school, one, um, girls were kind of discouraged, you know, we were, you know, because the path to being a photographer is being a photo assistant. Mm-hmm. And I was straight up told, you know, photographers don't typically hire female photo assistants because they can't carry gear. Wow. <laughs> I was like, not that that deterred me because that was not going to be something that would deter me, but it was that, that was the climate. And I think there were only like one or two other, uh, young women in the program at the time but it was mostly the deeper I got into the program the more technical um it became and the more every every project I got I instead of just doing one photograph I do a photo series you know that told some kind of story mm-hmm. and and I kind of was like you know maybe maybe photography isn't for me maybe I should maybe I really should go into film and like that was going to be any easier but um, I felt like there was the film landscape was larger and, you know, you had commercials, you had film, you had television, you know, you, you had lot, what I thought would be more job opportunities down the road. And also, you know, I was such a huge film buff. I mean, I was really into indie. I was really into sci-fi action. Um, it really was a, a huge passion of mine. So, so yeah, so I, that's why I, I transferred to University of Michigan. They had a film program, a really great one. And um, so I went, I ended up finishing getting my degree there. Okay. So how was it for you? Cause uh, we do have some listeners who do consider who are considering going to film school. How was it applying? Like, were you, nervous about the application process how did that work for you for michigan yes or erin and because i know you did go for um your grad degree as well you can choose either to either one well i can i can talk about both of them actually um i'll start with university of michigan i was going in as a transfer student so that's really hard. It's hard to get into michigan in general mm-hmm. It's really hard to get into michigan as a transfer student and what I did was, um, you know, and I didn't even, you know, I didn't have SAT planning and all that stuff in high school. I really, 
I winged it. I knew there was a test. I went and took it. <laughs> you know, so I must have got a good enough grade to get me into University of Michigan. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote a really passionate personal essay. And that was a, that really, excuse me, kind of outlined my background. And um, I got a letter. I'll never forget the day. I was living in an apartment um, in Hamtramck, Michigan, which is um, this kind of low-income, low-middle-income neighborhood outside of Detroit. It's like it's almost a city within a city in Detroit. And um, I was get, get, getting ready to go somewhere, and I stopped at the mailbox and grabbed my mail and got into the car, and I had a letter from the University of Michigan. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the decision, whether I got in or not. This will determine my future. Mm-hmm. And I opened the letter. You know, and you know, you're waiting for that, like, pass-fail moment, you know. And, yes. Yeah, you know, all of us have had – I mean, I've, I've had so many rejection letters in my life. And, you know, I was really – I was so nervous. And I opened it up, and it said, you know, uh, thank you for applying to the University of Michigan. You have been waitlisted. <laughs> for oh the fall semester, <laughs> I was like, waitlisted. What the hell does that mean? Right. It was like if you, if you would like to um, speak to one of our guidance counselors, you know, uh, admission counselors about this, you know, please call the number below. So, at that point, um, you know, I had already been living on my own. I had at one point moved to California for a year. I had. I had worked, I had started, I started working when I was like 15. So I worked lots of different jobs. So if there's one thing that I knew at that, even at that young age, it was that talking to people in person and, and really stating my case, if I wanted something was the best way to go. And that, and that in life that you have, you have to take every chance and every opportunity you're given. You can't not ask or take a chance. And so I called the number, I got an appointment, I went, I drove out to Ann Arbor from Detroit and I got this like kind of hippie guy <laughs> who was really, was probably, you know, he seemed old to me at the time. He was probably like in his thirties you know? <laughs> and like I, um, and I just told him my life story, you know, and, and how, how my parents had divorced when I was two and I was raised by a single mother on welfare and we, excuse me, we lived in HUD housing and, you know, I was, I'd be the first person on my mother's side of the family to go to college. And I mean, you know, I mean, I just, I pulled out all the stops and it was all true. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was, um, you know, making anything up. I, I really just told them, you know, look, this is the deal. And I've, you know, I never dreamed I could go to this college. Like, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. I never, I never thought, that, you know, I I could get into a place like this, you know, I never, it just never, my mother doesn't even understand how college works. Like, you know, I would really love to go to this school. And I, you know, if I went here, you know, you can see from my transcripts, I've always had really good grades and, you know, I would, I would do really well here. And, you know, and, and, you know, and he was, you know, very nice and polite and, and not, okay, all right, well, thank you. You know, thank you for coming in, you know, and, and I walked out and I was just like, I, I didn't know. I, I thought it went good. You know, I felt good about the meeting, but I was like, is that going to get me into the school? You know, <laughs> like my, or, or I guess, you know, if he, maybe if he had been a little different, like, like a preppy guy or a lawyer type, I would have felt like maybe he looked down on me or something, but because he was kind of like this 
open hippie kind of guy. I, I felt like, I guess I just felt safe. Like I could tell him my actual story, uh-huh. which it shouldn't have mattered, frankly. Um, but it, it kind of did. And then if like, I don't know if it was a month or how much light later, I got another letter that was like, congratulations. That's awesome. You know, I know you, that you've been accepted. <laughs> yeah. You've been accepted to the university of Michigan. I was just like, so excited. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to like one of these fancy schools with all these bratty, fancy kids. It was, <laughs> you know, it was really, you know, but so I didn't have, I didn't have the typical, um, you go to college and you live in a dorm and you meet all your best friends or you join a sorority. You know, I didn't, that wasn't my experience. I, I went from, you know, living in an apartment in Detroit and I was really big in the music scene, was in a band. Um, you know, I saw every show that came to St. Andrews in downtown Detroit. I, you know, I went from that to, you know, moving to another apartment actually in Ann Arbor and I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't have any friends at school at all. And I still hung out with my people in Detroit. In fact, I ended up, um, after my, my first semester, I, I met no one, <laughs> not a single really? friend, not a single friend because also in the film department, you know, it's a big school. Yeah. And since I was transferring, I was in all these classes with like a hundred people, yeah. you know, and I was kind of, I was artsy and kind of shy. I, I never, my entire time I was there, I never went to a single football game. I hated football. Um, the only time I was ever in the stadium was when I graduated. But I was like just loving, and it was winter time. You know, I, I mm-hmm. was just loving, I was seeing like sometimes six, seven films a week, you know. And I, I, I was taking the max amount of credits that you could take 18 <coughs> me I was taking 18 credits a semester because anything over 12 was free I was working I was busy you know and I still had my friends my close friends in Detroit and um at the time then I had a boyfriend who I met at art school who's a photographer uh, who I, I actually ended up marrying after school we moved to New York together but um the short answer to your question about applying for college because <laughs> I did the same thing when I got into USC for grad school I did the same thing I wrote a really personal essay I got letters of recommendation from the from the most you know prestigious people I could get my hands on you know um and you know and played up all of my uh achievements whatever they were you know and right. and and push forward that way. You really have to brag on yourself. You just do like whatever you've done, whatever you've done, you know, you have to like, you have to highlight it and really, um, you know, it's like, I may have said, Oh, this is what happened to me as you know, this is what my life was like as a child, but I didn't, I didn't frame it like poor me, you know, Oh, this is so tragic. It was so horrible. I framed it like, yeah, this is what happened. And look what I did after that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And look, and look how I shine <laughs> because you're not trying to make yourself a sorry, you know, sorry, sad, sad. You're trying to say, look, I, I'm, I work hard, you know, I'm a hard worker. And if you accept me, I'm going to work really hard at this school and I'm going to do really well because that's what they want to hear at the end of the day. 
yeah, you know, that you're going to, you're going to have a high GPA, you're going to work really hard, you're going to make the program look good. You know, that's the, that's the person you're going to be, you're going to work well with the other students, you know, you're, that's, you know, that's who you're going to be. So yeah, and then, and then recommendations, you know, mm-hmm. from whoever, like, could be, you know, the principal at your school, or, you know, whatever, like, yeah, so and so is amazing. That stuff, I think, really helps. I think I, I agree on that. And I, they do want to hear you play up. Because, I mean, I remember when I had to do my um, admission paragraph about myself. I'm like, okay. You know, because I think, especially as women, we're taught to be modest. Like, Yeah, oh. don't be. Yeah. No, I was <laughs> like, no. You know, I wrote a book. I started my own um, book company. And then I transitioned to screenwriting. So, like, yeah, I really had to be okay with like, no, this is your accomplishment. It's like, okay. To tell them like, what did you do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be shy. You know, do not be shy. And really, you know, before you, I, I sometimes find before I have to write any kind of letter like that, I'll look at my own resume or I'll write down accomplishments or I'll look at old resumes if I'm going to go back further in time, because I tend to forget my accomplishments. I don't, cause I'm always, I'm always someone who, well, I'm always trying to be in the moment and to be present in the moment, first of all, but I'm, I'm always looking forward. And so once something has happened, once I've had some kind of accomplishment or achievement, it's like, it's dead to me. I'm trying to forward. So I kind of, I'm, I also, you know, I'm not always the biggest um, bragger on myself because I'm, I'm not interested in what I've achieved. I'm interested in, in what, what's next. What am I going to do next? So, so yeah, what, you know, really sit down and plot it out what you're going to say about yourself. And that's so funny because I'm the same way. I will forget, like, I will have to go back, like, go back and be like, Oh, you did do that. Like, Oh, I, <laughs> I did that. Yeah. So I understand. I am definitely looking forward, not looking back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good trait. So, okay, after school, after film school and you finish, you transition to the A&E Network. How was that experience and what were your responsibilities specifically while you were there? Um, well, I, I'd like to just talk a little bit about how I got to A&E, first of okay. all. Um, I, you know, I graduated from Univers- University of Michigan, moved to New York. And I tempt for a long time. Um, I was a temp trying to find a permanent position somewhere. And I worked at a bunch of different companies. I worked at, um, actually worked at Miramax for a while. I worked at um, Radical Picture, Radical Media. Uh, I ended up, well, I ended up at Radical Media and then I ended up production managing commercials for a little while. I worked at Chelsea Pictures, which is a commercial production company as a receptionist when I first got to New York. So I, I really, it took me a while, you know, and I really, I, I kind of came out of university of Michigan thinking, okay, I'm going to go mm-hmm. make movies. Or I'm gonna, <laughs> and, you know, the reality of making movies is, as I'm sure people know that you have to make movies to make movies, especially mm-hmm. if you want to direct, you have to, you, and it costs money to make movies. It's very, it's expensive, even short films. Um, even with the technology we have now, which we didn't have when I came out of school, um, it's it's still it's expensive. So, so yeah. So I ended up 
um, working at a, at a bunch of different places, but I got a lot of really great experience from that. And then I knew somebody at A&E who was potentially leaving, my friend Timberly Whitfield. And she, and so she kind of got me in, but it took, I was trying to get into that company once I knew that I knew people there for probably six or eight months. And even when I was hired, I wasn't even like, like they didn't immediately hire me as permanent. It was like this trial basis thing. So I just want to kind of stress that it's not always easy to get into these companies, but you have to, you know, be really, um, you know, just really diligent and, and not give up, you know, and you'll, you'll meet, as long as you're hanging in the right circles and you're, you know, whether, even if you're temping, like whatever it is, if you're trying to, you know, trying to make connections with like-minded people who are doing film and television, you know, really make an effort to step into those worlds because that's how you're going to get jobs. I, I've almost never gotten a job from, sending a resume to the company or to a recruiter or online. I've almost all of my jobs throughout my entire career have happened from people I know or people I, people I know who know someone. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. But when I got to A&E, I started out as a creative executive, which is basically the lower level creative um, development person. It was in a film drama and performing arts department. And we, one of the highlights that we did there, I I got to read, I was reading scripts. I was watching dailies. I was giving notes. Mm -hmm. I was learning how much marketing plays a role in, in television and in filming. I mean, marketing is hand in hand with, with development and production um, because it's a business. And as much as we'd like to think making movies is all about being creative, it is a business. And, and people are not messing around when it comes to, to how much, to, to the money they expend and the return that they want. Like, it's like any other product. If they're going to spend the money, they want to get the money back. And right. um, to do that, you know, a lot of different things come into play, casting primarily. And then the cast is determined based on, who the marketing people can market. And that it's, it's sad, but so much of filmmaking comes down to that. It's like, you know, will we make, will we make a return on our investment? Well, that depends on who we cast because who we cast determines how we can market this film, how successful we can be marketing this film. So I really kind of learned that at A&E. Um, and I also really learned that I didn't want to be um, on the other side of the desk. I wanted to um, pursue and, and see what it would be like to actually make things, you know, because that was what, you know, starting out, especially in photography, where it was so tactile, where I was literally taking photographs with a camera and developing them in, in the dark room and printing them. And, you know, and then I went from that to 16 millimeter and digital and, you know, actually making things and cutting things and, um, you know, and then, so then to go to the other side where I was somebody who was um, developing and, and, and watching how things were marketed and, you know, reading, you know, reading other people's scripts and, and looking at dailies that, you know, from other directors, it was like, you know, okay, this is interesting. This is fascinating, but I think I want to be, I want to direct. 
you know, I had always wanted to direct. That's what I wanted to do. And, and being in those roles <clears throat> only confirmed that for me. So I applied to USC. But I was at A&E for three years. Okay. So, well, I like that you were um, very honest about, I think we, well, anybody who's gone to school for filmmaking, we have this picture in our mind. Well, I know I did. <laughs> when I finished uh, my program, I was going to like, write this amazing script and I was just going to be on my merry way. And that's just not how it's been through this process. So I definitely think that it's good that you mentioned like you worked and you worked and you got your foot in the door because of relationships, not because you went and like applied and they hired you off of your application. So I think that that's a good point to put out because I do think that people see because um, social media, I say it's the gift and the curse. Um, mm -hmm. You'll see people's success. And I think that has done a lot of damage to uh, filmmakers because they'll see people like, oh, you know, look at my amazing work. Or they'll talk about their success, but they don't talk about what they went through to get to that point. Yeah, no, it's it's hard. It's a lot of, you know, and and I mean, to be honest, too, I mean, I... I'm a little older, so, but I don't think it's changed much. And maybe it's changed in the last five years, but mm -hmm. the last five years, minimal, you know, to be a director and in some ways to be a writer, but especially to be a director, I, it's no coincidence that, you know, all of this, the, the major, what is it, that, that women only direct, what is it, under 5%, 6% of movies, especially studio movies. It's no coincidence. And if you really look at who the successful directors are, they are, they are white men who came up middle class to upper middle class, mm -hmm. a lot of them upper, upper class. And when they were in their teens and early 20s, someone gave them a pile of money to make a movie or to make a music video. And that person, you know, and, and they took that pile of money and they made something good. You know, I mean, Bottle Rocket is a great movie. Wes right. Anderson made a great movie. Um, he, made a he made a bunch of other short things and whatever things before that. But his parents had money and his parents' friends had money. And so by the time he was making Bottle Rocket, you know, it, it, he had so much support around him to make that movie. And I mean, I think he's a brilliant writer director absolutely but i also think he had the kind of financial support mm -hmm. and then he had the kind of societal support because society supports white men it just does and it has and if you're if you're fortunate enough in this world to be uh a, a, you know a, a white man with money to make films and you're you know you're intelligent and talented um you have a really good shot at being a filmmaker. If you are a white woman or a person of color who doesn't have that kind of access to money, that kind of financial support, you could be brilliant and talented all day long and good luck to you. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's really how the industry has been always. And it's only starting to change in the last four or five years. You still need money to make short films. You don't need as much money. And with the internet and, and YouTube and all these different channels, 
and all these different ways of, of getting noticed, um, it's kind of, it's, it's leveled the playing field a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, you know, it, it still is, it still is a, a, a landscape for, you know, people of privilege. If you want to be a director, you know, if you want to, if you want to be a writer, um, again, the statistics bear out that, you know, most of the, the writing, the, the writers of the last, however many <laughs> of how many ever decades, right. right have, have also mostly been men mm-hmm. and white men. Because the directors, the white male directors are interested in white male no. stories. Yes. You know, they're interested in sto- these white men who are directing the movies are interested in directing stories about white men. And it just gets perpetuated and perpetuated. And it goes all the way back to Joseph Campbell. You know, it goes even further. I mean, it goes back to we've always told stories about men. Mm-hmm. Always. You know, the, the hero's journey is a man's Male. journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the women play, the women could be the mother, the woman could be the old crone, um, or the love interest, or the siren, or the, you know, the whore, or the virgin. But, you know, we have not, we don't have a history um, of, of favoring female protagonists. So the, so the women who, who have become, you know, but yet, so over the last, what is it? 15, 20, 30 years, our colleges and our educational systems have been 50, 50 male, female. Mm-hmm. So you have all these women coming out, white women, women of color, um, coming out of college thinking, well, I, this is what I want to do. And, and you go and you pursue it and you realize, oh yeah, there's a giant wall in yes. front of me doing this. So how do you, how do you scale that wall? How, how, you know, how do you have your own hero's journey? And that's, that's what's exciting about what's happening right now in, in the business and in the world um, that, you know, there's, there's a change happening where women are standing up for themselves. Yes. And they want their stories told. And, 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 other, and women, and, and part of women standing up for themselves is women saying, I want to see stories about women I want to see stories about women I want to see Wonder Woman yes one of the highest grossing movies of the year why because women want to see stories about women and they're and they're like and they're saying to their boyfriends look this is the movie I want to see you either want to see it with me or you don't (laughs) you know Uh and whereas I have always heard you know that you know whenever by various filmmakers you know agents or production executives it's common knowledge that, you know, if you want to write a movie that sells, it should probably have to have a male protagonist because we all know women will go see whatever the man wants to see on a date, but men won't go see a quote unquote chick flick. And I swear to God, I really hope, I really hope the, the words chick flick are going away and will be banished to hell forever because, but that's, that's how sexist we've been, mm-hmm. you know? My entire life, we've been so sexist that any movie that has female protagonists or is about something that's innately female is a chick flick, and we look down on that. Right. Men especially just look are, are trained and taught to just ignore that, look down on that, don't watch that movie. Mm-hmm. And that that I'm hoping will change. 
I hope so too. I, I think that as women, um, just across the platform of us being a lot more vocal, especially what's with what's going on in Hollywood in reference to um, Me Too, I think that that is just going to further push us to be a lot more vocal and say like, this is not what we want anymore. Like we're going to tell our stories. We're going to put you on blast if you are inappropriate and we're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, for anyone who really wants to work in the industry, you know, or work in the industry, figure it out, keep, you know, don't, don't it's also one of those things where if you want to be a director or you want to be a screenwriter um, or a producer, it, those are really, as I've learned over the course of, of my career, mm-hmm. those are, it's, it's like wanting to be a Senator <laughs> or, you know, vice president or president of your, of a company or um, they're, they're high goals. They really are because one of the reasons they are high goals is they, they tend to pay well ish depending. Um, But they also tend to support things that cost a lot of money to make. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to be any one of those things, you have to be completely tenacious and, and really, want it and and not give up on it and it, it just has it just has to be who you are and what you want to do and nothing's going to stop you from doing it and if, if you don't feel that way then then you shouldn't if you just feel like maybe I could or I kind of want to or um, I got this degree in it and so it should be you know anytime now I should get it now you know you might get lucky maybe you're that brilliant person who you know, who will get through quickly and by the time you're 25, you know, be the next big thing. It happens. Absolutely. It happens. I've seen it happen uh, many times, but I've also seen peers of mine who have MFAs from USC, you know, 10 years later, still struggling or working in reality television like I have or having a mixed success. You know, um, I've also seen peers, you know, who are posting about getting on private jets um, on Instagram. So, you know, or directing features and directing episodes of television. I see that too. I just saw a friend the other day who posted on Facebook that she has a show um, that just sold to, I think, CBS with Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but that's, this is, you know, 10 years after grad school and she's been writing for TV. So it just, and she, she has her MFA in directing and I know she wants to direct and I'm sure now that she'll have her own show, she will direct, but I mean, it's, it's taken her this long. So, and that's after grad school. That's not even after undergrad. So it's, it's a journey. It's a, it's a major journey. And because and the reason it's a journey is because the goal is a lofty goal. It's not an easy goal. It's not like you're going to manage, um, you know, you're going to be a manager at Macy's or you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, be a director of something at some company. It's, it's a, it's a big goal. 
And so it, it's going to take time and it's going to take perseverance and you just have to be ready for that. So I know that you um, have worked in reality TV. How, how did you like that? Because I know that you worked with X Factor and then I also know that you worked on the show uh, for Kendra on top. How, um, because I, it was, I think I read an article where you said that um, people believe when it comes to reality TV that it doesn't require storytelling. Um, so did you, is that something you enjoyed and you would continue to do or it was just something that you did in the moment? Um, it's kind of both. I mean, I don't watch reality television to be completely honest, mm-hmm. um, but it was fun to make. And it was easy to make. If you, you know, if you've ever written or directed anything and, and had way too much film school, like I've had, um, it's easy because you are, you have your characters, you know, what, what, like, what narrow lane they kind of swim in, you know, you know, where they're going to go, what they're going to do. You know, there's only like, there's only so many options for them story-wise and you can break out of that. Absolutely. But the network probably doesn't want you to. Right. So, you know, you, it's kind of, it's kind of, in some ways it's easy, you know, because you can just, you can, you get to play and you get to experiment, but you also um, have a structure that is the show that you have to, you have to like anything else, these are the parameters and you have to work within them. And, um, you, know, you have to plan the season arc and the episode arcs. And um, I, I, I found it, I, all of it was really fun to make. I didn't, I didn't think, oh, this is such a slog. You know, I actually liked going to work every day. And, you know, typically it's, typically it's a pretty good group of people. You know, you have editors and you have a lot of frustrated filmmakers. You know, you have a lot of um, people who, you know, came up on film or really wanted to be in film, but here they are in in reality television, because especially over the, again, this is something that's changed in the last two years, thank God. But when I was, especially when I was making reality TV from like 2000, whenever it was nine to 12 or 13, maybe 13 or 14, for those five years, most of the programming was on television. Two things were happening most of the programming that was on television was reality programming and cause it was cheap and it was new and people were watching it. And second thing was the studios after the recession really stopped, really slowed down their output. So the studios had been making, you know, had been releasing, I don't know, like 20 movies a year or something. Mm-hmm. And and now they were releasing half of that, like eight or nine. And of those eight or nine, you had like the four or five that were franchise and you had the two or three that were awards movies. And then maybe there was a, there were one or two slots for something different, you know? And, and that's still in some ways kind of the case. Um, so there wasn't, the film landscape changed drastically from when I started at USC to when I came out, when I started Indies were still flourishing, but I didn't, what I didn't realize at the time was that it was the tail end of that. Um, then what started, ha- so, so yeah, so I, so I started making, doing reality and doc stuff and you know, I, for the most part, I enjoyed it. I was doing, uh, I was writing my scripts 
um, in the mornings before work and on the weekends and just working my butt off all week on these shows. And yeah, I, I liked it. And then um, the last few years I've been working, I've been doing a lot more doc TV, like doc related stuff, especially with um, Chris McCarble who directed the Gaga doc. So he and I have worked together for a few years and that's been great. And um, I just had a meeting the other day where someone told me that um, reality TV, like docu-soaps and that kind of stuff were starting to, to fade out and not become as popular. And I was really happy to hear that. <laughs> I was like, that's great, you know. And, and with Netflix and Amazon, there's now so much more in Hulu. Mm-hmm. People are doing scripted again. You know, they're doing scripted in a way they've never done before. You know, there's so much more scripted op- opportunities now. Um, but that's really where I'm looking next. I'll probably just still do some more doc stuff this year, but I'm really trying to shift to, to scripted. So I know uh, before we wrap up this, uh, before we get your information on how we can keep up with you, I know everybody wants to know about the Lady Gaga <laughs> project. I know they're probably like, okay, Siobhan, but um, tell us how you got involved in that project because I loved it. One, and that's too because I am a documentary fan. Like I love, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you should make some docs. Um, so basically, I had been working with Chris McCarville on a few different things, and he had a meeting with Live Nation and was up for one project that didn't happen. And he um, was up for the Lady Gaga documentary. And, you know, he called me and he was like, do you want, if I get it, do you want to produce it? I was like, yeah, of course, you know, yes. But I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. And, and then he got a call from her manager to, after he had met with him and they headed off to go film her for a day. So he went and he filmed her and um, came back and did, we did a sizzle for the movie um, which was just kind of like a, a little trailer from that day to give to Live Nation, who was financing the film. And they loved it and basically greenlit it off of that. And so we were, I mean, it was like from zero to 100, like after that we were off making it. I mean, I had to do a budget and schedule right away. We did that. We met with Bobby, her manager, and um, started figuring out you know, what she was doing and what would be, you know, interesting for us to film. And then just we started going in and and filming her. And we, you know, we filmed on the Canon C300s with fixed um, super speed Zeiss lenses. So we, you know, there had to be some amount of closeness to her, Mm -hmm. um, which I think you feel in the film feels very much like a 70s rock and roll doc, which is what we wanted. And, you know, we just wanted to be fly like flies on the wall and just kind of stay back because it was, it was about her and what she was doing. It was a very different experience from reality television where you're creating the story, you know, and it's directed to a certain extent and, you know, written and produced to a certain extent. And but with this, it was really, we really were really just kind of following her and documenting her and what she was doing and, and um, 
you know, we would get a call. Can you go to the studio and film her today? And, um, you know, we would, we had a bunch of GPs that we would call to see if they were available and, and a sound person. Um, because it wasn't, we didn't always know when we were going to film or, you know, some days were canceled. So it really was, we were just kind of winging it and we did, we didn't, you couldn't have like a lot of people in the room with her, you know, because a lot of times she was in the studio, she was um, in a makeup chair and, you know, it wasn't like you're going to have 10 people around her. You were going to have sometimes just Chris with a camera or, you know, a DP and she wouldn't be mic'd or maybe she, it was a day where she would be mic'd, but the sound person would be out of the room typically. Um, and yeah, and typically, you know, typically I was in the wings, you know, I was there, but I was in the background staying out of the way um, and kind of helping, you know, just organize everything and get to where we needed to be and make sure that we had whatever we needed, the, the, you know, the DP, the sound person, the enough cards for the camera, <laughs> you know, when we were in New York, we were on, on, on location, I would, I would be the DIT, I would manage all the media because I wasn't going to hire someone and trust them <laughs> with all the footage. Right. And, you know, and also there was no point in having another person stand around all day for that. So, you know, I would handle all the, the, the cards for the camera. And at night I'd go back to my hotel room, um, you know, everywhere we went, actually, Nashville, Tokyo, the Super Bowl in Houston. And I would go back to the hotel room at my night, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how long the day was or how tired I was and just, you know, transfer all the footage to hard drives and back it up and back it up. And, um, yeah, so it was really, a lot of it was with Chris and I or Chris and I and a, and a DP and a sound person. We rarely even had a PA. Sometimes in New York we did to drive around or to move gear or whatever, but we traveled as light as we possibly could. So yeah, that's how, that's how that went. <laughs> It was a great experience. It really was. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like it was because you would think, even though you do need to be a fly on the wall, you would think that you had more people, but I think it makes it that much better that it was so few of y'all and it definitely did give you like a rock and roll vibe. Like, I, I loved it. Oh, good. Yeah, no, thanks. It was, she was great. And, you know, Chris was able to have a really good kind of laid back, out of her, out of her way, rapport with her, and he's really, you know, he's really good in that way that he can, he can just kind of make people feel relaxed, or he's just chill and kind of out of the way. And and I'm I'm the same. That's why he and I are we're really good friends, and we're we work together really well because we're, um, you know, we're not uptight. We're, we're really just kind of like okay, let's just figure it out. Like let's not have any drama. Let's um, let's just be cool about what we're doing and and get it done in the smartest way possible. So we, we were able to really ingratiate ourselves with her team, um, which is really comprised of, of people who have been with her for 10 years. I mean, she's been doing this since she was 22. So a lot of the people around her have been with her since the beginning and they've all kind of grown up together. And, you know, her, her family's really involved in her life. Her, her parents are, um, you know, are around a lot. So that was, that was another part of it. So yeah, it was good. That's awesome. 
So before <laughs> I always like to ask, uh, what are you reading and what are you watching right now? Oh, um, what I'm reading right now, where is it? I just, oh, I might have left it in the car. It's the second book in the Altered Carbon series. And I don't know why I'm blanking on the title of the, of the book, but I am. Um, Altered Carbon is one of my favorite books. Um, I think it, I, re I, I read for James Cameron for a while um, and did research for him while I was at USC. And I, maybe that's how I found Ultra Carbon. I don't know. But I loved the book. It's a sci-fi book. And I found out that um, it was optioned by Joel Silver at Warner Brothers at one point. And I thought they were going to make the movie. And I had no idea they were making a TV show of it. And I somebody sent me a link to um, to the show that's going to be on Netflix in, I think, February, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'm super, so I'm super excited about that. I'm really excited about Ultra Carbon because it's also, it's about downloading your consciousness um, into new, they call them sleeves, which is just new synthetic bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the premise of it, but it's a thriller and it, it's like an action thriller. And I just wrote and directed a short film called Violet's New Life, which is about downloading your consciousness into a synthetic body. But it's more like, um, insecure. <laughs> it's like this woman, you know, she's 72 and she downloads her consciousness into this 35 year old version of herself. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like her day to day life. Like what is her life like now? She's now the same age as her children, <laughs> you know? And so I'm, I'm just, I'm color, we're color correcting that this week and, and we're going to mix it. We're going to go out with it in the new year as a show. So a, um, I'm, I'm going out with it as a short film. I'm submitting it to festivals, but I'm also using it as a pilot presentation to sell the TV show. It's, it's a dramedy. It's like a half-hour dramedy. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm reading. What I'm watching, um, I just started watching the new Errol Morris documentary, hmm. uh, which, is, which is pretty good. I was also watching The Crown, which is like a combination of super boring and super fascinating at the same time. I and I saw the new Star Wars and loved it. Did you? I want to go see that um, this weekend. And I keep saying that I'm going to watch uh, The Crown, but I always end up watching something else. So maybe I'll really commit to it. You know what's good about it is that in some ways, like you just hate them it's so boring but then in other ways it's it's you know it's history so that's fascinating uh -huh. and she her she has this steely resolve that I find so enviable like she just things bother her but she and she deals with things but the way she does it is in this really kind of calculated thought out but yet compassionate way and you're just like wow <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm like, gonna have I don't know yeah I don't know if it's just the men how they're writing her I don't know I don't know if there are any female writers in the show I have to look but um yeah so I I find what the way they, they're presenting her character to be to be really fascinating her character is the most interesting to me so yeah well, I want to say thank you so much for inspiring and giving us some great tips and encouraging us to not quit. So thank you <laughs> so much for being on the podcast.
Oh, thank you for having me. And yeah, that really is, you know, that's the message. Just don't, don't give up. And you know what, if you, if you do decide it's not what you want to do, that's not even giving up. That's just changing direction and course. And I've seen so many people I know do that and they become so successful doing other things that I'm almost like, wow, why didn't I leave film? But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted. I'm not getting out now. So yeah, you just, you, you just have to really go for it and make it happen. And it will. So how can we keep in touch with you, um, your social media, because I do know you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm big on Twitter um, ish. Um, Kim Ray on Twitter, and I am I am Kim Ray on Instagram. Those are that's probably the best. Okay, so until next time, make sure that you are out there living your filmmaking dreams and just get out there and do it. That's right. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. All right.